We're going into James chapter 5. We've been working through this chapter here and there. For the last few weeks, anyway, we are actually on sermon number 6 already on this passage. My desire was to finish this up by the end of November. You know what? (laughs) I think I know what we're doing in January, too. um, Because it's not going to get quite done. Because there's... um, 20 verses, and we are on verse number 8 today. James 5, verse 8 says, You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. This is a study on living faith, an examination of living faith. And today we're going to look at that phrase, strengthen your hearts. They have wonderful equipment today in the medical world to test the strength of a heart. They could tell you problems with a heart. They could pinpoint it pretty well in these various tests. I think that's pretty incredible that we have that in our day and age. But pastors are still waiting for a spiritual test of the heart that we can run you through a machine when you come on Sunday morning and find out where you are with the strength of your heart. And I thought, well, that would be very useful. But I think the Lord has his own way of testing that. And it's called challenges. That's what tests the heart. That's what tells us if it is strong or if it is weak. Very interesting uh, passage we have here in verse number 8 because it relates to the seven previous verses and also with the rest of the verses in this chapter. This is not just a random thought that he thought, you know, I ought to put that too while I'm writing. I've got extra ink. James knows there's a relationship between patience and a strong heart. He also knows that those are the things that indicates a person of faith in the midst of injustice. And that's what we've noticed in the first seven verses, six verses especially, injustice. And how none of us enjoy that, do we? But he sets up the picture of those who are rich, who are taking advantage of those who work for them and not paying them what is due, leaving them in a very difficult spot, while the rich keep getting richer. And thinking all the while that somehow that uh, that benefits the rich before the Father's gaze and some sort of judgment, and yet the Lord sees what's really happening. And there's an issue we've talked about from chapter 5, 1 through verse number 6, how he does deal with the the indulgent, the rich, who are abusing others, and how he addresses those who are being hurt by that injustice. That's why in verse 7 he says, Be patient, brothers. Because here's the reality. As a Christian in this world, we have to act different. We can't act like the rest of the world. We, in our world, fight injustice with more injustice. They hit us. We hit them. They treat us bad. We treat them bad. That's our world's way of doing things. 
A Christian's called to something entirely different. And that is to be like Christ. And we have his example set before us. When they hit him, he did not strike back. When they talked poor of him, he did not revile in return. When they led him to the cross, he did not open his mouth. He died on behalf of us, the hands of sinful men. That's an incredible thing. And we're called to be like him, aren't we? James is not outside of that whole picture when he's dealing with these verses here. For that's who we're called to be like, is to be like Christ. So when we get into a passage like verse number 8, we're not just coming up with new thoughts here. They're in keeping with all of Scripture. And especially in that which is the believer's proper response in the world today. This is how we live out our faith. So, Heavenly Father, we need your help today as we go into this verse to understand what you are calling us to do, to be, that we might stand out as different in a world like ours, that we might show that we truly do trust you. These are the things that show our dependence. And I pray that we can understand it well today and apply it well as, as we desire to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as we work through this, just one quick thought to set you up again. There are three positive aspects that a believer is called to do. It's the effects of faith. What living faith will do. And those things in James, we're not covering the whole book, but we saw in chapter 2, it does produce works. A living faith produces works. In chapter number 3, a living faith produces self-control. And here in chapter 5, A living faith produces dependence or reliance upon God. Now, I like it simple that way. Three things we're called to do. Work because we're saved. Work because we're called to do that. Have self-control and depend upon God. The illustration last week was absolutely perfect for it, wasn't it? Of course it was. God wrote it. Who's in Scripture? The farmer. The farmer who plants his seed. How he waits for the rains to come. And it's God who gives the produce. He must wait for that too. So he does the work. He plants the seed. For the rest of that, he must depend upon the Lord. Self-control is an issue there. You don't go dig them up every other day just to see if it's working. Leave it in the ground. Trust him. Trust Him. Trust Him. And allow Him to bring the results. That was our picture last week. I thought it was a very good picture for us to see. That was verse number 7. So in verse number 8, He says, Now you be patient. Just like that. Using that illustration. You be patient. Just like that. That's the second time He's told us to be patient. Then He added that next phrase. Strengthen your hearts. I told you I wanted to come back to this because I think it's important for us to understand it. As these are commands. There are four of them in the passage. Be patient. He says it in such a way that you need to start doing that right now. 
as if you've never done it before, be patient. He does that twice. I've told you that. Verse number 7 and verse number 8 both say it that way. The other commands are strengthen your heart in verse number 8. And verse number 9, stop complaining. Now that's going to be a fun sermon too. That's not today. I just warn you, it's coming. Strengthen your heart. I love this. I love this phrase, strengthen your heart. I want, to, I want to walk it out with you in these words. To describe this command, as I was looking at it, and I said, wow, just the description is powerful. Just to, to understand what he's saying here. He says, you. I mean, he makes it very emphatic. He doesn't have to have the pronoun there in the Greek, but he does. He says, you. It's like he's pointing his finger right at us. You. Strengthen your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. You, yourselves. You know what that word comes down to? Accountability. Responsibility. We're called to do that. Because nobody else is going to be able to do that for you. Well, I know my job is to present to you God's Word. I'm I'm supposed to set that up for you. It's like if you take the illustration of a cook making a meal. Goes and prepares it. Brings it forth. Sets it on the table. I can't chew it for you. I can't eat it for you. I could set it out there. For all these years, folks, you've had people teaching you. Preaching to you. Sharing with you God's Word. Maybe it's been in your devotions. Maybe the daily bread has been your food every single morning as you spent a little time with the Lord before the day started. Maybe you've spent a lot of time just reading through God's Word. Maybe you've listened to the radio programs. Uh, Many wonderful things over all these years have been given to us. We have been fed. We have been fed. We have been fed. We have been fed. I don't know any other culture, any other time in history that has such an abundance of God's Word being presented to it. And it surprises me how our world is still so immature. I don't understand that, but I do know that you can have a banquet set before somebody, and if they don't eat it, it does them no good. That's the first word in this passage. You yourselves. He comes down to that, and I I take that as a pretty pronounced way of saying, you have a responsibility You must strengthen your heart. You must strengthen your heart. That's the verb that follows it. You strengthen. Strengthen. Your King James establish is a word. We don't say that anymore. Establish your heart. Establish, that's a word we might be a little more familiar with. Stand firm, some of your translations will say. Stand firm. Sterizo is the word. Kind of a cool word, because every time I think of steroids, I'll guess what I think of? Steroids. It probably is a related word. All right? Steroids. Now, I don't know a whole lot about steroids, except that they help you hit home runs if you take the right kind. But I understand there's two different kinds, really. One is an anti-inflammatory type of steroid. Uh, it's it's meant to 
to help you. And then there's another that's a steroid that does build muscle or uh, improve performances. This word, sterizo, is to make stable. It's to make something firm, to make it fast. We, we say the word fast, to set it fast, to fix it, to, to confirm it, to make it constant. Those are some of the words that come here with that word. Now, what's interesting about it is this. As I was reading that word and I saw the form it sits in, I told you this before, it's an aorist tense command. An aorist tense in the Greek means, Now! Do it now! It's urgent! If I was to design, people do designer study Bibles. If I was to design one, every time an aorist command came on the page, I put it in a 12 or 16 font, which is bigger than the rest. I'd put it in the blackest ink I could possibly make it, and I'd underline it three times. Because it's an urgent thing. What's interesting about this kind of command is more than just the urgency in the way it says this, but it is a decisive thing. It's decisive. In other words, you must decide to do it. And it's a determined thing. You must be determined to do it. It's intentional. Do it now. Start right now. As if you've never done it before. In other words, you can't accidentally become strong in your heart. It doesn't happen when you wake up in the morning and suddenly, whoa, what happened? My heart's stronger. It doesn't happen that way. It's an intentional act. Decisive act. You know what that's coming down to? Just by me saying it the way I am? And since it's a responsibility, and it's a command, if we don't do it, we're disobedient. Ouch! What a way to start. It's a decisive thing. Let, let me, for the risk of overkill here, let me say it this way. Be decisive to make your heart stable. Be decisive to have it placed firmly and set fast and fixed. Be determined to strengthen it, to make it firm. Be intentional to render it constant, to confirm it. Because it's an urgent matter. I'm going to suggest something by implication. When James wrote this word, it was said this way on purpose. The implication is that his audience had unstable hearts. They were weak. They were wobbly. They were hit with injustice, as the context would say. And as if they were caught off guard, they were knocked for a loop. They were not handling it well. They were not handling it well. When he told them to be patient, guess what they probably were? Impatient. When he told them to strengthen their heart, guess what their problem probably was? It was not strong. How are they going to stand up in such a hard day with impatience and a wobbly heart? 
I take that as the implication of those that James is addressing here. See, instead of faith and walking by faith and living by faith in the midst of an injustice, they responded in a fearful way. They responded in an unprepared way. As if this was something new. (laughs) What a surprise. Somebody treated me bad. Didn't Jesus warn his disciples about that? Didn't he tell them, the world's going to hate you. Don't be surprised at that, because they hated me first. Didn't he say that? You could find it. You go looking in John 15, or tell you that. In verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. That should be no surprise. Even though we don't like it. We don't like it that way. Some think that the world ought to be kind. The world ought to be just. And it's a big surprise if it's not. Peter, when he writes, you're in James, just, you're in Peter's, if you just turn a page. Chapter 4, verse number 12. Peter says, brethren, or beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Interesting way he says it. Don't keep on being surprised because they were. He says not stop it. Don't be that way. It's not a strange thing. So, Peter and James must have come from the same place. James is telling telling them to strengthen their hearts because they're all wobbly. Peter is saying, don't be surprised because they are. Here's the rest of the components of this command that James is saying. Because it is active in voice, that means you do it. You do it. I can't do that for you. The elders of the church can't do it for you. The Sunday school teacher can't do it for you. Choir director can't do it for you. If you go through the whole list, you do it. You do it. And if you don't, that's disobedience. Now, let me set something in place by the way I just said that. By saying you do it, that makes it sound like, boy, you better just get busy, huh? Pull it up by your old bootstraps, as we used to say. Strengthen that heart. Do it. Let me put down the Christian parameters for that kind of a statement. Number one, when you talk about patience, what is the source of patience? You know. Or else I'm going back to Galatians and starting over. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. All right, so you're not going to have the patience that God calls us to apart from the Holy Spirit, right? And James, or Galatians, teaches us to walk by the Spirit. That's the only way the fruit's ever going to be manifested in us. We do not produce patience of our own. That's God's patience through us. That's dependence on the Holy Spirit. That is a clear teaching in Scripture. I could go all over the place and prove it, but you already know that. 
when we talk about strengthening of the heart, would you be surprised to know that God's in charge of that department too? Since you're still close to Peter, go over to chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Here is those who are suffering. And Peter addresses them and says, this is what you do. Verse 15. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. So, what's that mean? Sanctify Christ? What, what, how do you do that? What, I thought he was already sanctified. Well, understanding the word sanctified. Sanctified means set apart for a reason. Set apart for a reason. We treat this room as a sanctified room. It's been consecrated to a task. And what is that primarily for? Worship. This is our worship room. I have yet to see a football game break out in the middle of this room. Because it's not designed for that, is it? This is not a stadium for an athletic event. We don't treat it like that. We don't pull our car in here and fix the motor, do we? Why? Because we call it the sanctuary. It is set apart for a purpose. Now, what's interesting here is the Lord is holy. You're not making Him more holy. You're not changing anything about Him. You're changing something about that heart. Because He is being set in that heart for a purpose. He said, but I thought He was there. Oh, yes, but here's the problem. We live as if He's not. We don't dedicate our hearts to Him. We don't say, Lord, this is your heart. This is your heart. We haven't set it apart for that purpose, have we? Let me, let me take it a little deeper, because then you could follow what I'm trying to say here. If you go to the end of Second Peter, Second Peter, the last two verses. This is what Peter says, and it kind of sums up something very nicely here. He says in verse 17, You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, and he's talking about uh, people who are unstable, distorting the God's word and, and such like that. He says, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He gives them a command in verse number 18 to grow. Grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that will strengthen your heart. That will strengthen your life. And that will guard you from the instability of false teaching. And if you don't grow, you are susceptible to their teaching that will leave you shaking and wobbling and falling down. That's what he says in verse 17. So I hate to say it this way, but I think the way Peter does is that you're either doing one or you're susceptible to the other. There is nothing in between here to call it coasting. We must be growing. That's what strengthens. We must be growing in our knowledge of Him. So you've got to read His Word. 
and in the grace of him, so you've got to read his word, and we grow in that, or else we're going to be unstable, and we're going to fall down. So Peter warns about that, and I say, okay, that's important. That's important for us to know. And then we come back to this idea, if we're going to have our heart strengthened, and if Christ is going to be set in that heart as he is the dominant issue of that heart, it's set apart just for him, so that I can grow, so that I can know of him and his grace, and so I don't fall. Let me ask you this. How does it happen? Jesus made this statement, and it's so simple, but I bring it up a lot. Ready? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you hear it? Apart from him, you can do nothing. Even strengthen the heart? That's true. Apart from him, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. What am I showing you suddenly? Dependence. Dependence. Let me show you one more place. It's in Ephesians. Now, not one more place like we're done. Just one more place on this point. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 3. This one is a stunner. Really, it is a stunner because it brings to me an awful lot of applicational points that I must think through. He says in verse 14, Paul's writing, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that, and this is what Paul prays for the Ephesian believers, and I think it should be for all believers, he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be what? Strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit and in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see what he just did? The Holy Spirit work in you to strengthen that heart so that your heart becomes the home. Not just the dwelling place like, like he's there. He's visiting or such a, like that concept. He said, well, Christ is in my heart. But that he's at home in your heart. Is that different? There are people that come and stay with us. We've got my my daughter and her husband staying with us last couple weeks, and they'll be back again. And then we've got more coming with us to stay with us during Thanksgiving break. We college students come, and it's a, it's a zoo there for a few days. We tell them be at home. None of them are allowed to paint the walls. All right, we have some rules. All right, but we say, be at home. Make it your home while you're here. They might rearrange the cabinets. You never know what could happen. What, do you, what does it mean to say, be at home? What does it mean for Christ to be at home in your heart? Boy, does that bring up a lot of questions? Like, if your heart was designed like a house, and it had all these rooms in it, is Christ free to go into every room? As if that's His room? If the heart has been sanctified to Him, and He's sanctified to the heart, it's set apart for Him. 
if the Holy Spirit is the one who's strengthening us for that purpose. You see, we must depend upon God. Because this is not something you're going to do yourself. Matter of fact, we're going to back away from it as much as we can. Because that's our human nature. I hate that nature. But it's true. Every time something spiritual comes along that calls us to something deeper, we shy away from it. It's scary. You know why? It will change your life to have Christ at home in your heart. It will change your life. So, as James is writing to these folks, he says something so simple and yet so profound. You need strong hearts, folks. You need a strong heart. You're being treated unjustly in this world. You're, you're, you're acting like that's a surprise to you. It makes you wobble. It makes you unstable. You know what? That is an indication your heart is not right. It's not right. This is your Christian life that's being exposed here. This is not just a, a on and off again thing. God has given us this task as a believer to examine the heart and see that it's strong. In Philippians, Paul said in verse chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, So that, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? It is God who is at work in you. And what is He doing? He is working in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's His work in you. Is that happening? Is that heart being strengthened His way by His strength to perform the living faith that we are called to show in this examination? Like I said, it doesn't come accidentally. It doesn't come accidentally. That's why he said, be determined about this. Be decisive about this. It's urgent. And I don't know how else to say it. In a world like ours today, it's urgent. It's urgent. That's why self-control is part of this. That's why depending upon God is part of this. Because you're called to have a strong heart. You're called to that. That's what he's aiming right at with this verse in James chapter 5. He's, he's scanning through the Christian life, and he says, Uh-huh, the heart. And he points right at the core of who we are. Right at the center of it all. That's what the heart was all about, by the way. It's more than just an organ, you know? It's more than that thing going, bloop, 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 inside of you. It's not that. It talks about that where you're strength of life is, your physical life. It's also the center and the seat of your spiritual life. We talk about the heart a lot. We could compare it sometimes with the soul, maybe. Some people compare it with the mind. Some say it's the fountain or the seat of thoughts and passions and desires and, and appetites and affections and these things like that. We, we say, I love you with all my heart. All right? We're supposed to say that's everything we are, is what we're saying there. It's our understanding. It's where we see things. So it's 
part of our will, as part of our character. All these things are related to the heart. I like the one comment where it says, it's the middle. Isn't that interesting? Even the way God designed the body, He could have put that thing down in your foot. But He says, no, I'm going to put it right here in the middle of the chest. Kind of important. God put it in the center. And that's where we're talking about. The center of things. The middle of things. I call it the core of the Christian. And this is what He's examining today. The core of who you are. The examination of living faith, that's what it focuses on. The strength of that heart. Why is God so concerned about it? I'm going to read to you a handful of verses. You could write these down and look them up. I'll give you the references. In Psalm 7, verse 9. Let the evil of the wicked man come to an end. But establish the righteous, for the righteous God tries the heart and the mind. In Proverbs 17.3, the refining, the refining pot is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Proverbs 21.2, every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. 1 Thessalonians, just so you not it's not an Old Testament verse only. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. For just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. 1 Thessalonians 3, 13. So that he may establish your heart without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Second Thessalonians 2.17 Comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Second Thessalonians 3.5 May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. I say, wow! It keeps getting repeated over and over and over again. God knows your heart very well. He designed it. And it says in Psalm 33:15, He who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works. He knows your heart. But here's our problem. Spiritual heart disease. We ought to start a union or a club or something on this one. Spiritual heart disease. In Psalms 8, 95, 8, do not harden your hearts as they did. And he talks about the people in the days of Moses. They harden their hearts. They harden their hearts. That is a danger we have, isn't it? That's a danger we have. The Lord says this, and we don't want to hear it. Turn it off. Callous, insensitive to the Spirit, not willing to to do what God called us to do. Step into the project, but we're feeble, and frail. We can't finish it. We quit. We say, "I can't do this job, Lord. I can't stand this pressure, Lord. I can't stand this injustice, Lord. I quit." Weak hearts. 
weak hearts. Far too often, our hearts are exposed. How do you strengthen something? It's real simple. Five easy steps. How's that? I could write a book now. Five easy steps to strengthen your heart. First, you have to know its condition. You have to know its condition. Second, find its weakness. Third, apply the correct solution. Fourth, let it set. Five, use it. I'll put that in perspective. James audience, heart check. Number one, weak, wobbly, unstable. The problem, unprepared. There's its weakness. It's inactive. It's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. The application to the problem, obey this message. Strengthen your heart. God's Word. Don't be just a hearer, but be a doer, right? That's where the majority of the issue comes down to. Knowledge of the truth is great, but application of the truth is necessary. It doesn't do us any good just to know it. We must do it. He says, apply it. Apply the solution. You guys all know what it is. I know what it is. Set it that way. In order for strength to come, it must be practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. There's a habit being thought of here. Set it that way. And then use it. Use it. It's not just for show. It's not for just display. But it's practical to be used. It's necessary to be used. That's the whole point if you think about it. When you're trying to develop an injured muscle, it's not to be rendered inactive forever. You have to start with the therapy, right? How many people love physical therapy after surgery? It's like, I can't wait for it, right? It hurts. And that person on the other side is so mean who keeps saying, now do it, now do it, now do it. Well, here's your pastor this morning just pulling out James's words saying, do it. Do it. It's urgent that we have this done. It's urgent. All right. Boy, I pounded you today, didn't I? I want living faith, don't you? I want to walk the way He designed it to be. I want my life to show strength in my trust in Him and my willingness to walk forward and obey Him and do what He's told me to do. I want that to be that visible that people say, oh, that's the way to do it. You know what? You are an example. People look at you to say how to do this Christian living thing. What are you showing to them? If they put a microscope on your heart, what do they see? That's my concern. Because you see me. I want you to see somebody who trusts him. And who's willing to do it his way. Living faith. That's what we're called to show. Heavenly Father, such a passage like this really, really hits hard. Because now we, we have to examine our own hearts. 
and see what they look like in light of your word and what you have told us today. Lord, it's my desire everyone in this room can have a strong heart. That every one of us is being strengthened by their knowledge of Jesus Christ and his word. They're growing in his grace. They're walking in his way. They're dependent upon the Spirit. They're growing to reflect Him in all their ways. That their hearts are set apart for the one purpose, that Christ may dwell in every part of it. It's my desire to see that in this fellowship. It's my desire to see that in my own heart and life. And as we come before you, Lord, we're we're mindful of our shortcomings We're mindful of our disobedience. We're mindful of our mistakes. And yet, you're such a patient, loving God. One who has not given up on us. Matter of fact, one who will accomplish what you set out for us to be. And that is to be like Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you are determined. That you are urgent in this matter. That you are decisive in this matter. And I pray that that might rub off on our thinking as well that we will follow in your steps and be just like that. Help us with this passage, Lord. It, it, does, it does ring so true to who we are. May we be more like Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.